Hey, senorita, really nice to meet ya. Have some tequila, I'm this week on Squats and Margaritas, it's journalist and number one New York Times bestselling author Katie Couric. I caught up with her when she was in town for her book tour. The book is called Going There, and she does. It is so good. And I just wanted to follow up about some of the things that she revealed. Her bulimia, uh, because same, and just what it was like to be a working mom. She was the anchor of the Today Show with two young girls. How did she balance all the things? Here's my episode with Katie Couric. Hi, Katie. Hi, Erin. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm good. Adriana, who works with me, who I know you've been talking to, is holding the phone. Adriana, show yourself. Hey, Bill. <laughs> who I've been talking to slash stalking for one year. But oh, no, and she's great. And I'm so happy to talk to you. It's been a whirlwind, but um, we've had so much fun. This is our, what, you guys, sixth city? Num- city number six. Yeah. Did, did Boston, New York, Washington D.C., Philadelphia, Chicago, which was really fun because my in-laws live there, and now Atlanta. And then on Friday we're in Los Angeles. Saturday we're in San Francisco. Then we come across the country to Nashville, and then I'm doing something in Memphis, and then I'm going to collapse and um, sleep for four days. Have a margarita and just <laughs> put your feet up. Exactly. <laughs> What is the tour like? Like, is it what you thought it would be? Like, you're on tour for your book. <laughs> I know. Well, it's really fun. And it's, you know, I should, I probably should explain at the beginning when people come, come out to see me sort of what this is all about. Because I don't think they know what to expect. But basically, yeah. at every stop, I've had two guests. One from a news story I've covered through the years, for example, in New York. I had this incredible woman named Lauren Manny, who I met shortly after 9-11, who was burned over like 82% of her body and just was in horrific shape. One of, you know, you didn't hear about many survivors, but um, I interviewed Lauren when she was doing rehab, and now 20 years later she came back, and I just wanted to see how she was doing. I interviewed somebody who had lost both of her legs in the Boston Marathon bombing in Boston, and um, and then I have sort of a featured guest. So in Boston, I talked to Tan France. In New York, Chloe Feynman and Melissa Villasenor from SNL. In Philadelphia, I interviewed, kind of was in conversation with Savannah Guthrie, which was really fun. Let's see, Washington, D.C., I talked to Kara Swisher, who's a tech reporter and a media reporter for the New York Times and has a podcast. And... Uh, so and and in I think you're in for a real treat because Ina's here. I heard to be in conversation with me, Ina Garten. And before that, I'm going to be talking to Amy Copeland, who I know is a real rock star here in Atlanta. I don't know if you know her story because this was before Aaron you moved to to Atlanta. But Amy had uh, got got wounded on a zip line, and then her her wound got infected with this flesh-eating bacteria, and she lost her, I mean, she lost her limbs, and she was 24 years old, and she has just gone on to do remarkable things. She is just a real profile in courage, and I'm excited to see her again. And so, um, but but I kind of opened this whole thing with a 20-minute kind of a TED Talk about my career, and then we sort of inter- weave in these interviews that I just mentioned, and 
it's about 90 minutes, and I hope people, and then I spotlight a charity, a local charity, which we'll have to wait and see, but I hope people leave feeling kind of enlightened and inspired and also feel like there's really good in the world because we're going through such a hard time in the country where there's so much rancor and vitriol and anger and people just... I don't know, frustration. So I hope this will be a really uplifting evening for people who come and see me. Yeah, well, I feel uplifted and motivated after finishing your book yesterday. And <laughs> Thank you for reading it. Thank you, Erin. So good, you, of course. Like I hate to put so, you on the spot, but did you like it? <laughs> of course I liked it. I, I can't wait to like hear you talk about it more. I know I don't have a lot of time with you. But there were so many things that spoke directly to me that I had no idea about. I haven't heard you ever talk about this. And I, number, like, chapter five of your book, I turn and it's binge, purge, repeat. And I was like, what? Because yeah. same, I, I dealt with bulimia for 10 years. And I finally told my story in my book. And my whole thing is make your mess your message. And I wasn't going to tell anyone about it because, like, I got through it. And it's like no one found out because – it's gross and it's secretive and you don't want anybody to know what you're doing. And you mm-hmm. so openly shared it. And I want to thank you for doing that because when I told my story, I didn't know anyone else that was bulimic. And I studied a lot about what triggers it. And I'm the oldest of four. You're the youngest of four. And I've always assumed like my perfectionist firstborn personality was like the trigger. But now you're—I mean, you're the youngest. Do you think it was like learned because you had older siblings? Do, was your mom always dieting? Like, where do you think your eating disorder noise came from? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think disordered eating in general was so kind of part and parcel of of my upbringing. Kind of this focus on being thin all the time and and calorie restriction and all that stuff. And I think I got into this terrible cycle of. Like, I, I remember during that period, if I ate a piece of gum that wasn't sugarless, I was bad. Or yep. if I ate something that wasn't kind of very regimented and part of a, a very restrictive diet, I, I, I felt like I had failed. And yep. so that kind of opened the door, and I said, I blew it. You know, I wasn't the kind of person who could just, like a normal person, eat a cookie and say, I enjoyed that cookie. I would eat a cookie, and then I would feel so bad about myself, I would eat 25 cookies because I had this mentality, well, I'll start again tomorrow. I blew it for the day. And I think it, it must be a control thing. I think it's sort of a, you know, feeling like you're out of control and giving your per- yourself permission to be out of control. Um, you know, the cycle was just really, it's so, it's so screwed up. And then you end up spending so much time just focused on what you're eating. It sort of like becomes an obsession. And I was very into counting calories. Like I could tell you, like a Mary Jane has 52 calories. Like in college, I knew the calorie count of every single thing. And I think it was just this really unhealthy obsession. And I would say my whole life, probably even though I stopped being bulimic, I still have disordered eating, I think, to a certain degree. I still worry about, like, what I'm eating. But I'm... I'm much healthier now, and I just try to focus on eating healthy. And 
I can eat a cookie or two. I don't have to then eat the whole bag. I've learned yeah. how to not punish myself for enjoying things that I like to eat. That's exactly what I've learned now is balance. That's what Squats and Margaritas, my podcast, is. Like, I would never have a cocktail or wine because sugar and carbs. And then, like you said, if I was at a wedding or something and I had one, it was like, well, I blew it. I might as well have a bottle of wine and I'll start over on Monday. But when you live with balance, I just, I never restrict and take anything out that I want to have. For me, that's a margarita. And if you give yourself that one allowance, like an indulgence that you want to have, if you have it every day, then you make allowances everywhere else. Like if I'm drinking margaritas, then I'm going to eat pretty healthy that day. And you just balance it out. I never went to uh, therapy or treatment, and I struggled for 10 years. And like like you, I stopped doing the practices, but I've had so many people on my podcast that have recovered, and just the way they speak, they're way further than me. Like mentally, I still have the noise, even though I'm not abusing my body, and I wonder if it will always be with me because I never got treatment. And I just assumed I was healed because I stopped throwing out my food. But like you said, just how you described it, like I always still have that noise and I don't know where, I, maybe it takes treatment to get fully healed mentally. I don't yeah. Know. You know, it's interesting because I, uh, I, I remember going to sort of a social worker at a church nearby. I never went to like official therapy, but. Uh, as I talk about in my show, I just, I think I realized how dangerous it was and it can really result, it can ruin your teeth and you can have all sorts of scarring in your esophagus and it's just so, so unhealthy that I, I was lucky and I know for many people they need a lot more treatment and, but I, I was sort of able to say, I just, I don't want to. I don't want to die doing this, and I don't want to harm my my body. But um, you know, I think for a lot of people, it's 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 a real challenge. So I don't want to, you know, say that anybody can just stop, like anybody can just stop smoking. But I think it's it's important to just bring it up because I still think, you know, women get feeling so much pressure about their body and their body type, and I think. There was so much emphasis on being like tall and thin, and I'm I'm five three and a half, and my sisters were both taller than I. But you know, I was never going to be this this tall, lanky person. And I think because those were the images I saw growing up, that it made me feel less than somehow. And I think today, you know, I I'm really glad po- body positivity, and now I guess the term is body neutrality. Yep. has become part of the lexicon, but there's still a lot of these opposing forces on Instagram and, you know, and I write in my book about body after baby and all that, all that pressure that women feel to conform to these certain beauty standards that just, they don't fit all of us. We're all beautiful in our own way. And, um, I'm, I'm glad there's more discussion about it now and I'm, I'm, you know, and, I'm glad that I can talk to you about it and that people who follow you can, can you know, feel less ashamed of it because I think it's the pressure we all feel. But I was going to say, ironically, I think my sister Emily, who passed away of mm-hmm. pancreatic cancer when she was just 54, I think she sometimes did it. So I think there is a genetic predisposition to having... Mm-hmm 
this kind of psychology where you're super hard on yourself and you feel like you're never good enough. And, uh-huh. um, but I think at least people talking about it and having it out in the open, I think it's, it, it will lead people to, to kind of deal with their issues and hopefully stop doing something that is so damaging to them. Or just not feeling so isolated and alone, like, why can't I stop doing this? What is wrong with me? Knowing that you struggled, you just admitting it um, is going to help so many people. I worry about my daughter, who's going to be six. She is the firstborn, and did I read that your, did your daughter struggle as well? Yeah, my, my, my younger daughter struggled with some, some, yes, body image and uh, just feeling pressure, yes. She did, yeah. and she's very healthy now. She's she really, um, you know, focuses on taking care of herself, and she's a Tracy Anderson person. And yeah. uh, you know, but all all of us, I think, we just need to expand our ideas of what constitutes beauty and and appreciate it in all its forms, and also not focus so much on the packaging, you know. Like there has to be more focus on on who we are as people and 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 our generosity or our desire to help people, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, absolutely. And you have helped people. You can help more people that are feeling maybe not even just in their body, just like the the whole imposter syndrome. Like I have a lot of moms that follow me that have their own brands, and it's like, how do you go live? Do you worry about what you're going to say or? Cancel yeah. the wrong thing. How did I you talk about that? I talk. Yeah, about you were scared to go live, and you, and now you're Katie Couric. Like, how did you get past that? You know, I think a lot of it is, you know, Malcolm Gladwell talks about you have to do something for ten thousand hours to get good at it. Okay. I think I really think like working hard and just experience and you know trying and failing and getting up and trying again just makes you better at everything and. I think it also not only makes your skills, it hones your skills, but it also gives you confidence. And so much of doing well in the world is feeling feeling good about yourself and feeling that you have something to contribute, you know. Yeah. And, and I think that I have this burning desire to help people understand the world, to help me, you know, for me to help, to me to, for me to understand the world. And in that process, hopefully help other people understand it. So I think you have to have at your core a real mission, like why are you doing what you're doing? And then that can, I think, drive you and make you better at it. But if it's just to get a lot of followers, if it's, you know, like you have right. to you have to have a, a goal and, as I said, a North Star that's kind of guiding you because there's got to be a reason for what you're putting out in the world. That, yeah, that exactly. then helps you, you know, stay, you know, keep your eye on the prize and get better at it. I started doing this after I wrote my book, and just the messages I get from people that are like, you're the first person that I've told that I'm bulimic. Like, thank you for being so open, and that's why I do this. And I feel guilty because I have a three- and a five-year-old who, like, will be standing at the door. Like, my husband took them out today, but they'll be standing at the door, and I'll have this guilt, like, they're only going to be little now, 
And I think back, like, when you were hosting. Oh, my hosting God, get over the that. Show. Okay, thank you. Like, you were the anchor of the Today Show. You had two young girls. Did you feel like, how did no, you balance? No, 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 no. First of all, I first of all, I think nothing screws up a kid more than having a parent on top of that kid all the time. First okay. of all, like, the, and I think, you know, kids, kids want to see their parents out and about and doing good things in the world. And I think it's really the quality of the time you spend with them. I remember when Ellie, I wrote in my book, was nine years old, and she looked at me in the kitchen, and out of nowhere she said, Mom, I'm so proud of the work you're doing with colon cancer. And I thought, you know, there. I, listen, I also have so much respect for, for full-time parenting, but I also think that, there's a lot to be said for a child seeing you satisfied and seeing you, um, you know, continue to grow as a person, seeing you putting out good things in the world. So I think all of us just, you know, my advice is just to be gentle with yourself. And, you know, I was always recalibrating. Some weeks I spent too much time at work. Some weeks I felt guilty because I wasn't working hard enough. And I think you just always constantly assess, but unconditional love and and really being there for your child and being a good role model how you treat people. Someone once asked me, how, how do you become a good mother? And I said, by being a good person, you know, and because and, kids watch you all the time and they watch how you treat other people. For me, I was always nice to the waiter, to the cab driver. You know, I think if you, if a child sees you treating other people with respect, that is the most important lesson I think you can impart on that child. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas.